Oh, okay, so let's get into Word today. Uh, I'm gonna, I don't always, uh, I don't usually pray before I preach. I always thought that seemed desperate. <laughs> you know, to go, please pray. I don't know if I can do this. <laughs> so I, 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 a lot of preachers do. I always said, I'm not going to pray before I preach. It seems like if I haven't prayed before then, it's too late. <laughs> you know? But uh, today I could use, I feel like I could use a little extra help from the Holy Spirit. Because so, I want to communicate this clearly and within the time frame that we have together. So I would like to stop and pray and ask for some extra assistance from the Holy Spirit today. Father, thank you for the truth of your word. Lord, your word, it says, the scripture says, it's sharper and more powerful than any two-edged sword, cutting asunder the joints of the marrow and the soul, dividing the soul and spirit. And that's a lot of words, and I'm not sure I even know what they all actually mean. But we can tell that the word has a deep, transforming, revealing nature to it. So I pray for your extra help today in communicating this word with kindness and winsomeness and grace, but with truth and conviction. Would you help me to do that, God, and help us in the audience, those in the congregation, to have ears to hear what is said and even have revealed how it's supplied to our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. So, uh, I'm going to jump into Hebrews chapter 12, verse 1 through 14. As you know, we've been talking about the cloud and the crowd. The crowd versus the crowd. And we've used as a metaphor the cloud of, uh, the, the pillar of cloud by day and the pillar of fire by night that, that physically led the children of Israel across the wilderness to the land of promise. And um, so today... I want us to go to the New Testament and I want us to close this series by trying to define what is the cloud for us? What does it look like? I think it's a little too narrow and simple just to say I'm following Jesus. And I, I th hopefully uh, during the sermon you'll understand why I say that. And so uh, we're going to find a verse that actually has the word cloud in it. And I'll explain more as I get into it. Okay, let's, let's go to Hebrews chapter 12, verse 1. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us, let us throw off everything that hinders us and let us, and are, are so easily entangled, hinders, and the sin that so easily entangles, and let us run with endurance the race God has set before us. We do this by keeping our eyes on Jesus, the champion who initiates and perfects our faith. Because of the joy awaiting him, he endured the cross, disregarding its shame. Now he is seated in the place of honor beside God's throne. Think of all the hostility he endured from, his, from sinful people so that you won't become weary and give up. After all, you have not given your lives in your struggle against sin. Very important words. And you notice in the beginning, uh, early on, he says in this first sentence, he says that in verse 12, verse 1 rather, chapter 12, we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses. Now the nation of Israel was, as I said, their success was determined by their focus. 
if they kept their focus on the pillar of cloud by day and the pillar of fire by night, followed it, and shut out the noise of the crowds among them that gave opposing direction and advice, that the crowds were in the form of idolatrous nations that were around them. It was the discontented people among them. It was their own lust and appetites. It was always amazing to me as I read through the book of Exodus that they, acted, they would act as one man. They would act in unison. They would act in unison in the totally wrong direction. And no one would stand up and say, time out, time out, uh, let's not, because Moses uh, is on a sabbatical for 40 days, doesn't mean we should, we should look for a new God and make a golden calf. Time out, let's, let's, let's think about this. Let's, let's take three days to pray about this, guys, before we, before we do this. Uh, and, and, or, or, uh, or w- w- wait a minute, guys, let's, let's stop all together wanting to, wanting to stone Moses because we're thirsty after ten plagues of Egypt were sent and we walked across the, the, the Red Sea on dry land and water came out of a rock t- in, in, the, in, in times past in order to, to, and manna is falling from heaven. We're having happy meals in our front lawn every morning. So, time out, people. Let's not do this. But we see time and time again, that's not what happened. They would get caught up with the noise of the crowd. Now, I believe the only thing that has changed is that the cloud is no longer a physical cloud ever-present on the horizon of our lives. Uh, but I believe it's contained in the text that I just read. And, and, and I'm not trying to be clever by, by picking a text that has the word cloud in it. Uh, I believe it's very significant, and I believe it connects. But it doesn't really matter whether the use of the word cloud it was divinely intentional or coincidence. The elements of a, and, and I hope you can hear this, the elements of a well-directed life are in that passage. The, well, the, the, the elements of a well-directed life, a life that will culminate in you having great meaning and purpose, and a life that will culminate in the coming of the kingdom of God, a life that is well lived and a life that ends well, I believe is contained in you and I discovering what does the cloud represent for us. Now, first of all, we follow the cloud of Jesus by rediscovering the faith and wisdom of the past. See, there's no future people in the cloud. He said, you're surrounded by a great cloud of witnesses. And if you read chapter 11 you realize that's the saints. That's the individuals. And they were almost always acted as individuals. Read, read, read chapter 11 this afternoon if you get the time or before you retired this evening. Read chapter 11 again and you will see a certain profile emerges. And that profile that emerges is these are almost always individuals who acted differently than the people around them. These are almost always individuals who challenged the status quo. These are almost always individuals who didn't follow the culture, but followed God and God's word and and the revelation of God's will. They followed the revelation of God's will often to their, oftentimes, most of the time, to their own detriment. And many times they gave their own lives. And so that cloud that's supposed to guide you and teach you is filled with those people who have gone before and uh, uh, so 
so th- th- this represents that. L- look at Exodus chapter 14, verse 19. Then the angel of God who had been traveling in front of Israel's army withdrew. Listen, this is very important. This withdrew and went behind them. The pillar of cloud also moved from in front of them and stood behind them, coming between the armies of Egypt and Israel. Throughout the, the, the night, the cloud brought darkness to one side and light to the other side, so neither went near the other all night long. Now that's very interesting. When I first started preparing for this series, I had no idea that the cloud ever led from behind. I had no idea that the pillar of fire by night and the cloud by day all ever went behind them because I knew that the normal way that generals would lead their armies in that day and age is they would find the highest point on the horizon and they would build a huge bonfire and their army would now know that's the way to march and that's the direction that we need to go. I had, I had no idea. Did anybody else ever read that before? Am I the only one in the room that never thought about the fact that the cloud on occasions would move behind them and, 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 and they would be directed from behind them. And so it speaks to our text this morning that th- there is a need for a backward look. There's a need to consider the lives, the teaching, and the wisdom, and the revelation of those who've gone before. This is, this is significant because it harmonizes with the idea that the cloud of Jesus represents the guidance of Jesus in the Old and New Testament through himself and his followers. It's important that Jesus was a presence in the Old Testament. That's very important. Anyone saying to you, unhitched from the Old Testament, is making a very unwise and a very uninformed statement. 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 1 says, So I don't want you to forget, dear brothers and sisters, about our ancestors in the wilderness long ago. All of them were guided by a cloud that moved ahead of them, and all of them walked through the sea on dry ground. In the cloud and in the sea, all of them were baptized as followers of Moses. All of them ate the same spiritual food, and all of them drank the same spiritual drink. Uh, uh, all of them drank the same spiritual water. For they drank from the spiritual rock that traveled with them, and that rock was Christ. Yet God was not pleased with most of them, and their bodies were scattered in the wilderness. These things happened as a warning to us so that we would not crave evil things as they did. He didn't say, just ignore that. That was Old Testament. There's nothing you can learn from that. That's Old Testament. No, he said, no, he said, uh, Uh, these things happened as a warning to us so that we would not crave evil things as they did or worship idols as some of them did. As Scripture said, the people celebrated with feasting and drinking and they indulged in pagan revelry and we must not engage in sexual immorality. I I can just hear someone today. So sexual immorality, that was Old Testament. New Testament, we don't worry about sexual immorality. After all, Jesus came and he died on the cross so we don't have to worry about uh, fornication, adultery, those sort of things, or, because uh, that was Old Testament. And, um, and Jesus, the Gospels, was just like a little extension of the Old Testament, and then it was over after the cross. No, he didn't, he didn't say that at all, did he? He said, uh, he said, we must not engage in sexual immorality, as some of them did, causing 23,000. Why? Because sexual immorality creates victims. That's why. 
not because God doesn't want you having fun, but because when you, when you don't honor the boundaries that God has given you, it, people get hurt. I said, that, that, did, uh, that didn't go over very well, did it? When you disregard the boundaries that God has given you, people get hurt. That's always God's motive for giving you any rules of conduct. Because he doesn't want you to get hurt. He doesn't want your children to get hurt. He doesn't want your friends to get hurt. He doesn't want your loved ones. He doesn't even want your enemies to get hurt. Nor should we put Christ to the test as some of them did and then died from the snake bites. And don't grumble as some of them did. You know, I thought that was interesting. A lot of people who would never, never commit sexual immorality will grumble. But... (laughs) But God, God puts grumbling right up there with looking at porn. <laughs> you know that? <laughs> so think about that. Think about that. The next time you start to grumble <laughs> and you, you think you're so holy because you, 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 don't, you don't fool around, you know? <laughs> and don't grumble as some of them did and then were destroyed by the angel of death. These things happened to them as examples for us. They were written down to warn us who live at the end of the age. This is also significant because Scripture is very clear. Scripture is very clear uh, that we are not to unhitch from the New Testament. So Scripture is very clear that Christianity is built on the foundation, this is very important, that's built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets, thereby connecting the Old Testament and the New Testament. Those who are saying unhitch from the New Testament, which is being said, I'm, I'm hearing preachers say it. Those who say unhitch from the New Testament and the Bible says and all of that as a source of moral direction, it's the Bible's just uh, uh, more stories to inspire you, they say, and, uh, and to give you some wisdom and, and examples that you can, you can learn from and grow from, but, but not to give you moral direction. That's also an ignorant and uninformed statement. Paul said in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 1, follow my example as I follow the example of Christ. Paul took his apostleship very seriously. He took it very seriously. That, that's the one thing that would get Paul in your face if you questioned his authority as an apostle. Because he said, oh, you, you don't know what you're talking about. I've been to the third heaven, and Christ has made me an apostle. Therefore, I have authority. Paul went around and took authority where he wasn't even asked to. Ask the Corinthians. Who is this guy showing up telling us what to do all the time? He never won a vote. He never got elected. He he believed that he was given a mandate from God to lead God's people. And... um, Sometimes it helps to know, <laughs> by the way, that devil and demons uh, know more theology than anyone with a divinity and uh, a PhD in divinity or ministry. Uh, that, that a junior demon is more informed than than the most educated. If you don't think so, read uh, Acts chapter nineteen, verse five, when some. Uh, and novices tried to cast demons out of a man. The demon spoke up and said, the evil spirit answered them, 
Jesus I know, and Paul I know. Notice the, the devil, the demons, put Jesus and Paul in the same sentence. And because I'm hearing people go, we, we, we can ignore the words of Paul. We just, we're just going to read the words of Jesus. If Jesus didn't say it, it doesn't matter. Paul said it, Jesus said it. Well, Paul is not equal with Jesus. I'm not saying it. I'm not, her- I'm not a heretic. Paul is not equal with Jesus. Write that down. Pastor Phil said Paul is not equal with Jesus. He did not say Paul is equal with Jesus. But they were in the same conversation because Paul was following Jesus. And he knew Jesus. So he was following Jesus. So I follow Paul as, I follow, as he follows Christ. It is ignorance not to respect the office of apostle in the Bible. So why do I say the cloud of Jesus is often behind us? I say that because the truth of who God is and how we're to be in this world has been established by those who have gone before us and we ignore them to our detriment. The manifestation of truth embodied in those who are before us may be expanded and applied contemporarily, but it's not changed. And this is really important. It's important that we distinguish between the knowledge and wisdom and revelation of who God is that's contained in the Scripture. And, and sometimes, sometimes you dis, dismiss that or, or you separate that from simply saying the Bible says. Sometimes you separate that. Because, you know, uh, some people have done some weird things just doing what the Bible says. There was a guy in New York a few years ago and I think he did it in mockery. He said, I'm going to do everything the Bible says. So he didn't cut his hair. He didn't take a bath. He lived in a tent. So in other words, every time he could find that the Bible said something, he said, I'm going to do that. You know. And it's, it's kind of like, you've probably heard the, 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 bad, the bad pastor joke about the guy who, who said, I'm going to open my Bible and do whatever it says. And he opened the Bible, and the Bible said, Judas went and hanged himself. And he thought, okay, I don't know about that. So he flipped over a few other pages, and he looked down, and he said, whatever, I just pointed his finger to verse. And it said, go and do thou likewise. <laughs> and he said, uh, well, I'm going to check one more. I want to, you know, but in the mouth of two or three witnesses, for every word to be confirmed. So he flips over a few more pages. He stuck his finger in the Bible, and it said, what thou doest, thou must do quickly. So <laughs> you, I'm, I'm glad you haven't heard that. Terrible pastor joke, <laughs> but uh, the 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 uh, so it's not just it's it, I I respect the Bible says and that's a good thing to say and Billy Graham was famous for saying and the Bible says but it's a little more complicated than that because the Bible says study to show yourself approved study the scriptures you don't just read the scriptures you need to study the scriptures to determine what is the will and revelation of God and it's not that difficult you don't have to be a PhD with a degree in divinity to understand what the what the corpus of the text is really teaching us and how it's directing us because everything gets confirmed everything that gets confirmed and, and, and you know I, 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 there's a bunch of rabbit trails I want to go off on but I'm going to resist that and get you out of here today. So, let me say next that we follow the crowd of Jesus by accepting the way of the cross. This is no minor point, by the way. Um, Paul says to the Philippians, for I've told you often before and say it again with tears in my eyes, 
Yet there are many who conduct themselves that are really enemies of the cross of Christ. They're headed for destruction. Their God is their appetite. They brag about shameful things. And they only think about this life here on earth. See, a lot of people, even in the church, only see the cross as, um, as a, a kind of a utilitarian object that does something for them. Which it does, by the way. And that's what we're going to celebrate at the end of the message today. The cross does something for you that's very incredible. It forgives us of all of our sins. It renews our relationship with God. It, it atones us completely. No, no matter the, the, the most vile and evil person in the room, the person in this room who has the worst record, and the person that, in this room that maybe didn't do anything that's really socially unacceptable, maybe a church person their whole life, the cross puts us all on level ground. It's an amazing thing that the cross does for us. But the cross is not just a utilitarian object that does something for you. The cross is a way of life. The cross is a way of life. And that's very clear in our text. The cross is a direction for how you are to handle and answer the challenges of life. The cross is a, a syllabus. The cross is a, a lesson. The cross is a, a, a guide on how you handle struggles and suffering and difficulty and difficult things that lie ahead of you. The cross is, will show you the way. The cross will show you the way when people offend you and they hurt you and they, they, they disrespect you. The cross shows you the way through that experience. The cross shows you the way to actually win. And not win over others, but win over all the forces of evil. The cross is the way to always crush the devil underneath Jesus' heel. The cross is the way. And so if you adopt it as a utilitarian object, you will only get half the gospel. The whole gospel is you live it. You live, you live and you face suffering and you face the challenges of life and the responsibilities of life. You face the challenges and responsibilities of life with courage and with faith and, and always able to see beyond the suffering. Always able to see. The Bible says Jesus endured the cross despising the shame looking for the glory of the Father. That's what it says in one translation. So, the, third, the last thing that I want to say, though, about the cloud is we follow the cloud of Jesus by learning from his engagement with sin and righteousness. Now, now the reason we bring this up is not because we want to obsess about sin and righteousness you know, the, 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 church, the church sometimes we do, we do get caught up in uh, obsessing about naughtiness, you know, being naughty. And uh, I know uh, we have over on my left here is uh, uh, some of you came through youth group at Bethany Community Church. And uh, <laughs> you probably felt at times that the youth leaders... We're only concerned about stopping you from being naughty. <laughs> and, uh, and, and, and the reason, there's, there was a reason for that, and it's a good reason. It's a reason because most of us were naughty sometimes when we were teenagers, and, and we, know it didn't, it didn't, it, we know it went badly for us, so we want better for you. But uh, yes, it's true. Sometimes the church can get 
a, um, a little bit too obsessed with keeping anyone from being naughty. But that's beside the point, really, because uh, even without being true, uh, the reason we bring it up is not to obsess about sin and righteousness, but it's at this juncture. It's at the juncture of sin and righteousness that the cloud and the crowd come into focus. And it's it's this juncture of sin and righteousness where there's the clash between the cloud and the crowd. There are several clear examples of where Israel was captivated or derailed by the attraction of a crowd that offered them an alternative way of being. And, and I don't have time to get into those examples, but there's several key examples. And if you read through the book of Exodus and you read through the book of Number and you read through and you read through the book of Deuteronomy, you'll see these examples where the nations around them they would get caught between the crowd and the cloud, and invariably they would go with the crowd. And it was always it was always about some engagement of immorality and sin. Now I want to close my message on following the cloud of Jesus by taking what might be the greatest challenge of our times, and that is the challenge. To walk in love and truth at the same time. To capture the winsomeness and attractiveness and and, and goodness of God and kindness of God with the holiness of God. And to put those two together, I had originally planned to close this series by examining today Romans chapter 1 and Romans chapter 2. As many of you know, Romans 1 is one of those places it, that among the list of attitudes and, and habits that he presents, that are, that are, by the way, are all a result of not honoring God. They're a result of not giving God glory. And probably many of you in this room know why pastors don't preach on Romans chapter 1 very often. Because Romans chapter 1, among that list of of results of not honoring God in, in Romans chapter 1, what is also listed is same-sex desire and same-sex activity. Now, there's, there's, a, 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 there's more to that list, by the way, and we need to read the whole list. In fact, I, I listed it out for you because I, I wanted to get them all down. And that list includes greed, hate, envy, murder, quarreling, deception, maliciousness, gossip, backstabbing, Rudeness, disrespect, insolence, pride, boasting, being disobedient to parents, promise-breaking, heartless, ruthlessness. And he, he just kind of, he, 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 he got tired of writing. <laughs> and he just put every kind of wickedness. <laughs> now, he's of course painting a portrait of the Greco-Roman world of his day. He was writing a letter. All the churches, by the way, most of the churches were small. They didn't have any mega churches across uh, Asia and Rome. They were fairly small. So he's writing this to a little, to a little church in Rome. And what's really interesting is in chapter 2, he turns his attention to, I'm going to say, to the Jewish nationalist who would never think of such open sensuality, uh, sensuality and hate and greed and maliciousness as you saw in the Greco-Roman culture. And believe me, it was bad. The Greco-Roman culture was bad. Not just 
not just sexual perversion, but the abuse of women, the abuse of children, the abuse of employees and slaves. It was, it was, and all of it was approved of. You didn't, you didn't file, in the Roman, Greco-Roman culture, you did not file a sexual harassment suit because there was nobody who cared. That's how it was. And, and we could give graphic examples, which we want. But in chapter 2, he turns his attention to the Jewish nationalists. And I say that because the, I, I learned through my research that he was, he used, he was using a technique that, that I, I, Greek or Roman, I don't remember which culture, they called diatribe. I think it was Greek. It's called diatribe. And a diatribe is when you kind of go on a rant and you're speaking to this group, but you're not speaking to this group. It, it would be like if I get up here and I spoke a sermon uh, against the culture, against the culture out there. And, but it sounded like I was talking about all of you. You go, Pastor, that's not, we're not doing all that. Well, that, that's the same kind of thing, though. And it's a way, it's a way to clarify something because even... At, See, all those things that... Well, let me tell you what he said. I'm kind of getting ahead of myself a little bit. He said, you who judge those people in Romans 1, you are guilty of the same things. That's what he said. And that's, that's an astounding statement. He wasn't saying that all that stuff is going on in your little church. He was not saying that at all. He was talking about two different identities. He was talking about an identity with the Greco-Roman world as a pagan, and he was talking about the identity of a Jewish nationalist who put their faith and salvation in their, in their identity as, the, as a part of the Jewish nation. And Paul is saying the, the, the Jewish nation, the, the, the nationalist Jewish system is just as bad, and you're just as much sinners. And he was also saying the same things that you condemn that are going on in the Greco-Roman culture are going on there. But you just hide them under religious language and religious garb and, and nobody knows because your stuff is, uh, is behind the scenes and underneath and in, in the back room in the Greco-Roman culture. It's all out there for everybody to see. Now, give me, let me give an example if you don't believe me. Here's one thing the Jews would do. They would make a vow to dedicate their possessions, including their money, to the temple. This was called Korban, and it meant a gift dedicated to God. By doing this, they would avoid using their possessions to take care of their parents. Now, they didn't give the money to the temple, but they dedicated it to the temple. And since the money was now considered sacred, and couldn't be used for, it could not be used for secular purposes. It, it's like putting your property in a, in a living trust so Medicare can't get to it. So it's, it's protecting your money so you don't have to take care of your elderly parents. At least, listen to this. <laughs> and Mark. It's like protecting your money so you don't have to take care of your elderly parents with this religious trick. And so Paul was saying, I don't believe, now I, I don't believe he was just saying that because you judge people, you're doing the same thing. And some people will take this text and they will use it that way. They'll go, see there, judging people 
judging people makes you, you're just doing the same thing. Judging is the same thing. So there's really what, what, what he talked about in Romans 1, it's not so bad. It's not merely as bad as the sin of judging. That, that's kind of the logic you will hear today. But it, I believe it's false. I don't believe it's correct at all. I believe Paul was saying these activities, the kind of activities are going on in, in, in the, and I, and I could prove it if we had time. And show you that these all these, all this abuse stuff, the, the temple leaders were abusing people big time. They were abusing. They were doing everything the Roman culture was doing, but they were doing it dressed in religious garb and hypocrisy. So, what Paul is saying is, let me show you a way, and this is a good part. Let me let me show you a way that will distinguish you. From either crowd. Make you a truly a blessing to the world around you. Elevate you to live as Christ in a sinful world. And really position you to be a source of hope to people. That these big social systems are crushing. Beneath the weight of their transgressivism. The Jewish nationalist group was crushing people. With its hypocrisy and harsh judgment. And extra religious rules that were not even in the law of Moses. The lawless Greco-Roman system was crushing people because it did not protect the weak. And it did not protect the vulnerable. It did not protect those who had, had no voice and gave them no voice. It, gave, it did not give the weak and the vulnerable any voice in that culture and it was crushing them. I want you to know sin always does that. Sin always crushes the weak and the vulnerable. And both cultures were crushing the weak and the vulnerable. Both cultures. That's what we're seeing today. You see, the opposite of meaning, I said to someone this week, the opposite of meaning is not falsehood, but nonsense. What we do, when, when, we dis, when, when God is no longer our source of wisdom and our source of guidance, we devolve into nonsense. Just, uh, just a, this recently, there's a there's a senator in California that's on a crusade to uh, to protect people that he that he uh, uh, deems marginalized, I suppose you could say. And so they had a they, they have an anti-loitering law, and the police would use the anti-loitering law to uh, to take uh, these young girls, mostly young girls, off the street who were prostituting themselves. And because they, 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 they could not arrest them for prostitution unless they, unless they actually witnessed them uh, uh, soli- uh, being solicited or soliciting. And, and what, you, what you would see if you went tonight on many California uh, streets and cities, you would see young girls... Uh, uh, dressed in uh, G-string bikinis with nine, seven-inch heels. And across the street, some creepy-looking guys who are watching them and monitoring their every move. And cars driving up, them getting in cars and leaving, coming back. It's human trafficking. Well, the senator said it wasn't right to arrest people for how they look. So he, he removed the anti-loitering laws so the police cannot do anything. And they say that, that the crowds of young girls, and mostly girls, probably boys too, but young girls has quadrupled on these city streets. The human traffickers love it. I, 
I'm not saying that that's that senator's intention at all. I'm not saying that's his, that's his intention. But it's what happens when you don't have a moral foundation that comes from God. When you don't have a moral foundation that comes from God, you do, not, you do not know how to govern yourself. We do not know how to govern ourselves. Martin Lloyd-Jones made a profound statement many years ago before he passed away to a, to a secular journalist. He said this. He said, man thinks too little of himself and man thinks too high of himself. Too little, too high. He said, we think too little of ourselves because we've determined that we are mere animals a result of an evolutionary process. We think too little of ourselves. We do not think of ourselves as being made in the image of God. He said, we think too much of ourselves because we think we are capable of ordering our own way and governing ourselves. So what a, what a dichotomy. What a polarization that we think too little of ourselves by thinking we're mere animals and too high of ourselves that we can, uh, we can possibly order our lives without God. I also, another example of this, this in, insanity and this irrationality that hurts people, these, these people are getting hurt, is, is uh, a uh, professor recently, and within the last couple of weeks, I believe, but uh, anyway, uh, a, he's a psychologist and a professor and whenever the psychologists get involved with a subject like pedophilia and start to uh, treat it as a disorder rather than a sin, I, uh, they treat it as a sickness rather than a sin. You can't repent of a disorder. You can't repent of a sickness. So if you keep it in the category of sin, then there's a place for repentance and deliverance. And th so this professor is up lecturing his class and he says, you know, he's, he's, he's explaining pedophilia and why, why adults feel attracted sexually to children. And he makes this statement and he, it was creepy because he was laughing when he, he said it. He said, everyone in this room has felt sexually attracted to children. Really? Where do you get that? Now, I, I want to be very clear. I want to be very clear that if you're here today and you do have those feelings, that we love you and we're glad you're here. And we want to pray with you. We want to help you. We want to do anything you can. We, we don't want you serving in the children's church or the nursery, but we love you. And we do not, we do not only God can judge you. To, 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 to disagree with you is not to judge you. Only God can judge you. We love you, and you, 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 I, I understand that's the difficult area to talk about. But we need to talk about it. The church needs to deal with it. And the church needs to, we need to lift ourselves up as a place of hope and a place of deliverance. And there's no hope if I have to tell you you're stuck. There's no hope if I just have to tell you you're stuck. There's no power. What's happened to the belief in the power of God? What's happened to the belief that evil spirits can be cast out of a person and they can be set free? What's happened to that belief that we've psychologized everything to the point that everything must simply be treated? And I'm not opposed to things being treated at all. I'm not opposed at all to that. I'm not opposed to a therapeutic. I'm not opposed to a therapeutic approach, but why does it have to be one or the other? 
Somebody say amen. You're so quiet today. I'm scared. So, what do we do? Well, we just found out we can't join either crowd. We can't join the crowd that's throwing rocks, and we can't join the crowd that's getting aid and comfort to the enemy. <laughs> There's a great story in the Bible I want to close with. It's the story of a woman, you know the story, most of you know it well, the story of a woman who was caught in adultery. And Jesus was down teaching at the temple one day, and, uh, and they brought this woman who had been caught in adultery because they wanted to divide the crowd. They wanted to divide into two crowds, just like Romans 1 and 2. They wanted to divide into two crowds and force Jesus to choose, making him an enemy of one crowd or the other. Now we know their motives weren't, weren't good because they didn't bring the guy. They just brought the woman. So you know they weren't trying to create righteousness in their community. They were trying to trap Jesus, right? And so they, they bring this woman and they throw her down in front of Jesus. And Jesus kneels on the ground. You know, Jesus didn't start shouting at anybody. That, that's kind of a clue how, we're, how we can live in this world. He didn't start texting. He didn't start tweeting. He knelt on the ground and he began to write. Now, now, I don't know what he wrote, but they left one at a time. So I think he was writing uh, Mary, Rebecca, Sarah, because <laughs> they left one at a time. I think he wrote now, I don't know. Now, quit looking at me like that. I don't know what he wrote. But I, I just, my theory is he wrote the women's names that they had been involved with because they left one at a time. Or, or maybe he wrote some other sin they committed. I don't know. But he finishes writing, and by then every, the crowd had left. He got rid of the crowd. Boy, there's a lesson in that, huh? He got rid of the crowd. And it was just him and this woman. I don't know. Maybe there were some others who still hanging around. I don't know. And he said, where are your accusers? And she said, there are none. And he said, neither do I condemn you. Go commit all the adultery you want. It's no problem. No. Oh, did I get the scripture wrong? He said, go and sin no more. Now, now, this is the genius of Jesus. This is, oh, I, I just, this blows my mind. This is one, this is the genius of Jesus. Because the Pharisees knew there was a crowd that thought the law of Moses was too strict. And that these prohibitions about sexual boundaries we, you know, Roman culture was moving into Jerusalem. There were Roman soldiers everywhere. You know they were bringing their... The Greeks were, were coming into Jerusalem because they were looking for Jesus in 1,000. So the Greeks and Romans... So you know. You know some of the, you know some of the people there were going, That's a, that looks like more fun than, <laughs> than what we're having. <laughs> 
And then there was the traditionalists. Probably incorrect to say it this way, but you could, to, to, to properly uh, lay out the binary, conservatives and progressives. Jesus didn't join either crowd. He said, neither do I condemn you. That was so progressive. So progressive. Neither do I condemn you. That was really progressive, man. That was edgy. That was grace. That was mercy. Neither do I condemn you. Go and sin no more. That was very conservative. I don't have a plan for getting everyone to like you. I don't have a plan for that. I don't have a plan for getting the crowds, politically and otherwise, I don't have a plan for getting them to pat you on the back and say, good boy or good girl. But I have a plan that will save the world. And that's the plan of mercy and the plan of grace that doesn't compromise with sin. Because sin hurts people. How can you condone sin? Because sin hurts people. It's, sin is incompatible with grace. Sin is incompatible with mercy. But sinners are not. Isn't that cool? So, are you guys awake? I've got to come down here. Isn't that cool? Isn't that cool? That sin is in, it's, it's incompatible with sin. But it's not incompatible with sinners because you're all sinners. You've all failed God. You've all messed up. All of us have fallen short of the glory of God. And God says, not okay with your sin, but He's saying, okay with you. Hallelujah. So what could be more appropriate than to praise the Jesus who was a genius? who gave us, the Bible says that the law came by Moses, but grace, neither do I condemn you, truth, go and sin no more, grace and truth came by Jesus. Now you may not, you could read between the lines this morning of my definite interpretation of Scripture about different arenas, and you may not agree with me. That's that's cool, but can you agree with this, that you need to meet Jesus, and you need to have your sins forgiven by Jesus, and you need to experience, I don't think that woman had very well-formed theological beliefs, I don't think she had real form, well-formed political beliefs, I don't think she had well-formed philosophical beliefs, but she knew one thing, that she was redeemed. That's what happened to her on that day. So let's celebrate our redemption.